Hey there, I'm Abel, and I'm really excited to be speaking to you today on the second part of our series, This is How I Fight My Battles. Last week, Aaron spoke to us about how there is a battle in our lives, in the world around us. And this battle is an ongoing battle of good versus evil. If you missed it, you can go to our HTBB YouTube channel to catch up. I wonder if you've ever looked around at the world or perhaps within yourself and asked, why is there so much evil and suffering here? How do I overcome evil? Well, today in the passage we're going to be reading in Ephesians 10 verse, Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 18, the passage we're going to read tells us about how to overcome evil. In verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying the battles you're going through with your family, in your workplace, in that negative pattern of behavior, with, with your health, in the things that the world is facing, those that are seen and those that are unseen, they are real. But there is a fundamental battle underneath it all. And that is the ancient cosmic battle of good versus evil. A spiritual reality that is more real than our eyes can see. And he says, there is an enemy to face. And this won't be easy. So God gives us the equipment for the enemy. Reading in verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For most of history, humans have been defending their homes from invaders. The Chinese against the Mongols, the Soviets against the Nazis, the Malayans in the Japanese occupation. Our ancestors knew what it meant to stand your ground against the enemy's plans. And we're here today in large part because they did what was necessary to prepare for battle. But you know, sometimes I wonder what it's like when it comes to defending a post. As modern humans living in a city, we don't really have a great point of reference. Maybe the closest local experience I can think of is when people hover over the table at the dim sum restaurant waiting to take the table the moment I pay the bill. In that moment, I always realize I basically have two choices. Surrender now and eat my meal faster to give the table up, or stand firm and order some more siu mai. But I came across an incredible story recently. On a Friday night in September 2010, in a town called Herman in the Middle East, a soldier by the name of Diprasat Poon was on sentry duty at a guard post. It was an especially quiet night, the eve of election day. 
And because most of his platoon was elsewhere preparing for the next day, Poon was alone. Suddenly, in that silence of the night, a distant clinking noise was heard outside the gate. At first, Poon thought it was just the sound of a cow and the sound of its bell. Then, as he looked out, he saw an enemy soldier trying to plant an IED, uh, a, 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 a device of explosion, to blow up the gate. Behind him, there were other enemy fighters ready to overrun the gate. Poon had seconds to think. Outside in the dark, he could see silhouettes of enemy fighters moving closer with rocket propellers and AK-47s. But he was alone, so he thought he was going to die. He gathered all the weapons he could find and got ready to take one last stand. But 20 minutes later, and after 400 rounds of ammo and 17 grenades, no one was, no one was standing anymore except for Poon. It turned out that he had not only survived a relentless attack from all sides, he had taken down 30 enemy fighters, all on his own. He used every single weapon available to him to defend the post. At one point, when he had nothing left, he even used a tripod stand to knock off an enemy off the roof. When Poon was later awarded by the Queen for his bravery, the medal citation read, Poon could never know how many enemies were attempting to overcome his position. But he sought them out from all angles despite the danger, consistently moving forward towards them to reach the best possible position of attack. Every battle, every battle you face has a spiritual reality. And like Poon, while we may not be able to see our enemies or how many there are who are trying to overcome us, we can face our battles from the best possible position of attack. In verse 12, St. Paul writes to us saying, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Christian life is not a playground, but a battleground. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. This is not going to be easy. But he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. And that means we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Since the dawn of civilization, as early as the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, humanity has been a story of strife and struggle. We've always been in battle with each other and as modern humans, with ourselves. Researchers estimate that the average human has over 6,000 thoughts per day. And of those thoughts, up to 80% of them are repetitive ideas that are negative and deconstructive. Thoughts that we play in our heads again and again and again. There are battles that are seen. And then there are invisible battles that others don't see that you and I go through. Paul writes that there is a fundamental reality to all our struggle, that our battles don't just exist on a material level, but on a spiritual one. We don't live physical, psychological, or emotional lives only. We live spiritual lives. In fact, everyone you meet is an eternal being with a spiritual reality. So Paul, encouraging the early Christians, says, heads up, everyone. There is always something you don't see, 
controlling something that you can. But you don't have to be afraid. You are taking a stand in victory land. Today, you can know that God has given you all you need to engage the enemy of your battles. How do we fight our battles? We put on the full armor of God, ready to stand our ground when the day of evil comes. Last week, Aaron spoke to us about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the good news of the gospel. And today, I want to continue with the three remaining weapons of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. In verse 16, Paul writes, In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why does Paul refer, why, why, why does he refer to faith as a shield? We have a friend whose name is Christine, and she has an incredible story of how her faith became a shield. Over the MCO last year, Christine experienced a strange and terrifying disturbance at night. At night, she would go to sleep, ready to go to bed, and then she would experience a kind of dark presence in her room, like a weight pressing her down, paralyzing her with fear. She wouldn't even be able to move or speak. And every time she went to sleep, she was gripped with terror that this could happen again. But one day she said, enough is enough. And with prayer partners and friends, she began to pray. She began to memorize Bible verses. She read verses like Isaiah 54 verse 17 that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. She took hold of her victory in Christ. Her faith became her shield, a shield from the fiery darts of the enemy. And one day, the attacks stopped. They just lost their power. I spoke to Christine this week and she said, I don't have to fear anymore. It's like the stronghold is just broken. Do I still sometimes struggle? Yes, but the battle has been won. You see, faith is a shield because it is a certainty of victory. Faith is the resolute trust that nothing can overcome the goodness of God. The Bible describes Satan as the accuser. And this enemy is always either accusing God before you or accusing you before God. But Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it to the full. Today, you can have this full life that Jesus offers. You can have a faith that defends against the lies of the enemy. Your faith is a shield, a defiance, against the lies that he tries to plant in your mind. You know, every accusation finds its power in agreement. But faith through God's word disagrees with the lies and agrees with God's truth. In the Gospels, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he counted each lie with a truth of God from Scripture. With each lie, Jesus counted saying, it is written, his shield was his faith. You see, when enemy lies about your identity, you can proclaim the truth of, of God's word. You can say, I am God's child, John 1 verse 12. You can say, I am Christ's friend, John 15 verse 15. When he lies about your guilt, you can proclaim, I am forever free from condemnation, 
Romans 8 verse 1 to 2. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Romans 8 verse 35 to 39. When the enemy lies about your significance, whether you're enough, you can remember, I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 14. I am God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. You see, every time you're tempted to believe a lie, you can disagree with the lie by agreeing with the truth of God's word. There are two important features of the shield. The first is that it carries the symbol of the army. The shield is a practical safeguard from attack, but it also displays your team identity, who you belong to. In other words, your faith is a witness. It is a display, a testimony to others, to, to give courage to someone else. The second feature is that each shield, built to be about one meter in length, has edges that are designed to be interlocked with each other. This was so that an entire line of soldiers could join their shields and march into the enemy like an unbreakable wall. You see, spiritual battle is fought shoulder to shoulder with others. We are stronger together. There is strength in unity. The enemy wants you to be at war with others and within yourself. But God wants you to be at peace with yourself and make peace with others. So he gives us the shield of faith. Now, the next piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. If the shield of faith represents certainty, the helmet represents sanity because each spiritual battle is a contest for the mind. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul writes, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Salvation is a helmet because when Christ saves us and sets us free, he transforms and renews our minds. Dallas Willard wrote, Of all the things that we do, we have more freedom in what we will think of, where we will place our mind, than anything else. The deepest revelation of our character is what we choose to dwell on in thought, what constantly occupies our mind. You see, you become what your thoughts allow you to grow into. You become what your thoughts allow you to grow into. Freedom comes first through the changing of the mind. And today, I believe God wants to give us a new mindset. God wants to transform us by renewing our minds. In the Greek language, the word for repent is metanoia, a changing of the mind. You see, when we allow Christ into our lives and turn away from our old lives, Christ empowers us to change the destructive thought patterns of our minds. How do we do that? We starve it from evil, we steer it from distractions, and we stuff it with God's word. I know that sounds like a turkey roast recipe, but stay with me. Number one, we starve it from evil. We starve our minds from evil. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every time a destructive or unhealthy thought enters your mind, you can take it captive and take control of that thought. You can do this by accepting responsibility for your thoughts. Understand that not every thought that you think of is true. Be aware of the, the automatic negative thoughts that come into your mind by saying to yourself, that's a lie, that's not true. Number two, 
we steer it from distractions. It's been said that the idle mind is the devil's playground. When your mind wanders to unhealthy places, you can refocus your mind on the right things. Paul writes, whatever that is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Basically, if you can think of anything you can be grateful for, that's a worthy thought. Think about such things. You can turn your thoughts into tanks. You can turn your worries into worship. Number three, stuff it with God's word. Memorize scripture. You can make it fun. Uh, over December last year, Jacinta and I challenged each other with Bible verses to memorize. It was a little bit of a competitive thing. Over random times of the day, we would test each other. Over evening walks, we would recite the verses, all those verses that we could remember. You can stuff your mind with God's word. It is a sure way to keep you sane in a difficult time. So he gives us the shield of faith. He gives us the helmet of salvation. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When I was seven on an evening walk with my mother, we came into contact with a stray dog. Now I must tell you, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of dogs. I actually had quite a bad phobia of dogs growing up. And I also had received some pretty interesting advice about dogs growing up. Uh, an auntie once told me, dogs can smell your fear, Abel, so don't be scared when dogs charge at you. Don't be scared when dogs charge at you. That's like saying, stand still when a dog is biting you. It'll give up when it realizes there's no more meat left to eat. But on this day, when I was walking with my mother uh, on this evening walk, we encountered this stray dog. So as you can imagine, I stood very still, trying not to let any fear smells come out to the dog as the dog came nearer and nearer to me. In the distance, I heard my mom say, don't run. But of all those two words, the second one seemed more compelling. So I ran. Now in my neighborhood, there are many dogs behind gates. And seeing this stray dog chase this seven-year-old boy somehow inspired the other dogs to join in the fun. One of them was a bulldog that was just a tad too big for the size of its gate. So it jumped out and joined in the chase. Now I was running away, not from one dog, but from two very big dogs who could definitely smell my fear. It's interesting how desperation often creates inspiration. And as I was running the fastest 100 meters I'll ever run in my life, I thought, two on one, that, that's not great odds. I better run back to my mother, that will make it even. So I took a hard stop, the dog sort of fell over a little bit from breaking, and then ran back to my mother, who by now was a screaming lady with an umbrella. With every step, I was nearer to my mother and her umbrella, the dogs lost their joy a little bit more. And finally, they realized the umbrella just wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth the chase. You see, we don't win battles by defending the post. We win them by taking ground. The sword of the spirit is an offensive weapon. Of all the parts of the armor, the sword is the one that can do real damage. It can turn the tide of the battle. It can win new ground. The Christian life is not just about the things that we don't do, it's about the things that we do do. C.S. Lewis put it like this, enemy occupied territory 
That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. And you might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Everything you read in scripture, every time you pray, you are sharpening your spiritual sword. Every time you come to access the word of God, you are accessing the things that have already been worn by God. And the difference between a spiritual sword and a physical sword is that the more you use your spiritual sword, the sharper it becomes. The good news is unlike the Prasad Pun, you are not fighting alone. The battle is the Lord's. He has already won it. And you are fighting a defeated and desperate army. And the armor that you're putting on, this armor is not something you've earned, but something is given. I read recently that Michael Jackson's thriller jacket was sold at 1.8 million US dollars. Someone somewhere thought that that hand-me-down from Michael was worth that kind of money, not because of the jacket, not because the jacket was worth that much. You can actually buy that jacket uh, or something like that for $500 on eBay. But because the jacket was was worn by Michael. Now imagine the worth of an armor worn by God himself, given to you. A hand-me-down, if you like, from your heavenly father himself, the king of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, the Messiah, the King of the Jews and the Savior of the world, he is described as a warrior dressed in armor, ready to defend us. In Isaiah 59, God wears the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation himself. This is the same armor that Paul is writing about. Later in the New Testament, as Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, that son who was lost and now is found, who returns to his father. The father, overcome with love and joy, tells his servants to clothe his son with a fine robe. This robe is not just some random extra piece of clothing in the cupboard. It's the family heirloom, the robe that belongs to the father. When we put on the armor of God, we are putting on God's clothes. We are taking up his image. We are accessing his power. But there is more. The armor of God is not just some external covering. It is an internal work. It is a picture of the character of Christ. During tough times, you know, I tend to reach for my own armor. What I think keeps me safe, trying to gain control, losing my temper, getting critical. But God gives us a better way. He tells us to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truth, his righteousness, peace, and faith. No weapon or enemy can stand against him. There is power in his name. So today we can take hold of that power, that freedom that he has given to us. This is how we fight our battles, with faith in his word, with renewed minds, and with the power of the spirit. Amen? Well, why don't we pray and come to Him ready to receive this power? You know, the Bible says that the same power that was made available to Christ, that resurrected Christ from the dead, is available to us. And we can come to God today to access this power. Not by something that we've earned, but because of what He has given to us. 
You may want to raise your hands like, like this as a sign that says, I'm ready to receive whatever you have for me. I want to put on this armor, the clothes that you have for me. I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just pray that simple ancient prayer. The prayer that has been prayed through the ages. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you.